0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Welcome, everyone, to the end of another week of Bible study. We have reached the end of the week of Bible study exercise. I know what you're saying. It's Sunday, so really, you ended the week yesterday. I know, theoretically, we were supposed to end yesterday, but... Here we are on Sunday, and we're now going to finally conclude, I guess I should say, we finally are concluding last week's Bible study exercise, and I hope it's been a beneficial one. I, I just, I feel like, I feel like we didn't discuss it enough. I feel like we should have done more talking about it. I feel like there should have been more emails back and forth, maybe more communication on the Discord channel. I just, I just feel like... should we move on? Like, should we really move on? Like, uh, so, so we can't move on. So here I am turning on the microphone to do one more, one more discussion about this week's Bible study. So let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. Welcome everyone. It is Sunday. See, I'm supposed to be introducing this week's Bible study, but welcome, everyone. It is Sunday, January the 23rd, 2022. It is currently 4.19 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And it was in this very sanctuary that this morning, at about 10 a.m., I stood behind the pulpit that I'm looking at, and I did an hour-plus teaching on, well, the subject for this week's Bible study exercise. And I had to do a lot of review, which I, I that really kind of messed it up. But as soon as I got started, I just felt like, mm, I'm gonna have to, I've got to get everyone on the same page because there was a lot of people present that I knew had not done anything with the Bible study exercise. So, but I, I still think it was beneficial. We we really, we we did a lot of review, but we also moved forward. But when it was finished, I was like, well, all right, that's not how that we can't stop, we can't stop. so we're going to try to bring it all to a conclusion right now, and then in the next live broadcast, I'll introduce next week this week's I keep saying next week this week's Bible study exercise, but we're are you ready to finish last week's all right, last week was all about genesis chapter thirty seven and specifically, we used genesis thirty seven to really get into this topic of spiritual pitfalls we really got into this idea of spiritual pitfalls, and now some of you really really dug in I want to make it very clear. some of you really dug in, you did a lot of work, you did a lot of the assignments, you did the homework, you had a lot of very interesting uh discoveries and things, and many of you were very open and honest with how some of this was very convicting and challenging i just I just feel that there was so much here that we just barely scratched the surface, but I'm going to do my best to bring this to hopefully, I can't say a dramatic conclusion, but hopefully a satisfying one. That's what I'm going to try to do, all right? So Genesis chapter 37. Remember, in fact, I should look. Um, If you haven't been working on your uh, Bible memory for this week, let me look here. No, I don't want to go here. Uh, here it goes to groups, theology central. Okay, if you um, yes, the uh, the memory groups for uh, the memory groups, the memory verses for the theology central Bible memory group. Okay, if you download the Bible memory app, and you should just look for the Bible memory app. Once you download it, go to groups. And then do a search for Theology Central. Join the group. It's absolutely free. Nobody's going to be bothering you. And then whenever we add Bible memory verses, which we'll add some here in the next couple of hours, you can start memorizing scripture with us. But this last week, I should say, was Genesis 37, 3 through 4, where we read these words. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren. They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. That is your Bible memory verses for last week. If you didn't do it, please go work on it. Please memorize it because I think it's very, very, very important. All right, please do that. All right, now, here's what we've covered. We've covered the concept of a spiritual pitfall. And the spiritual pitfall, just remember, is this idea that there are pitfalls in other words, there's a pit out there that you could step in and fall into, but it's covered. It's disguised. It's camouflaged. You don't see it. Next thing you know, you step into it. Boom, you find yourself in a pit. And I've been, I try to get us to think about spiritual pitfalls. And then I really started thinking, trying to get us to think about spiritual pitfalls as I feel that they they show themselves or manifest themselves in Genesis chapter 37. So. I'm just going to, I'm not going to say a word about these. I'm just going to start reading in Genesis 37 and just remind you of the ones that we have covered so far. Genesis 37 verse one, and Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Jacob being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. I'll stop right here. This all introduces obviously the concept of family. It gives all the family relations. It gives you everything. And the first spiritual pitfall that we spent a considerable amount of time discussing was that of family. Not going to go back through it. We talked about it in great length. Second spiritual pitfall is it mentions Jacob's wives, uh, and, uh, and the, and the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. It mentions his father's wives. Now this, this demonstrates that Jacob had adopted and started practicing the cultural practice of polygamy. So this shows the spiritual pitfall of cultural influence. There is a spiritual pitfall that cultural influence is just out there. It looks like the norm. It just looks like the normal air that everyone is breathing. You have to realize you got to pay attention. You're going to step on it, fall yourself, find yourself in a pit where your Christianity has been damaged and corrupted, and your spiritual life has been corrupted by the influence of culture. And he bought into the culture cultural practice of polygamy, which many in the Old Testament did. We we talked. Well, I'm not going to go through all of that again. Second, so here, here's Jacob or here's Joseph. He goes out, he's feeding the flock with his brethren. And after they're done, Joseph comes home and tells his dad, he gives them an evil report. Hey, hey, do you know what my brothers were doing? Now, remember, we don't, I'm not in 100% dogmatically saying what Joseph did here is wrong. I'm not here saying that, that what he did here necessarily is right. I think there's, there's a lot of things that could call into question what Joseph is doing, right? Is it because he doesn't like these brothers because he doesn't like their, their mothers? Is it because there's division in the family? Is it because he's the favorite of Jacob? And so he feels like to continue to keep himself on top as the favorite. He can, he can tell them all the bad things his brothers are doing. Or is he doing something in the right way? Lots of questions we have here about Joseph. But, the, but it does bring up another spiritual pitfall. And that's the spiritual pitfall of speech, of our words. We get ourselves in trouble so much with what we say, when we say it, how we say it, and to whom we say it to. All right, plenty of issues with our speech, which we talked about the idea of being a tail And we looked at that. Then this morning, once again, we looked at the next one. Verse three, now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. All right, we have favoritism. The next spiritual pitfall as favoritism. And I still think it's a spiritual pitfall because you may not even be able to perceive that you're playing favorites. You may not even see your bias. You may not even see your prejudice. But favoritism is a sin. Partiality is a sin. It is condemned in the Old Testament. It is condemned in the New Testament. And it is a spiritual pitfall. Now, we're gonna stop. Now, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start in verse five. And we're gonna work from verse five all the way to verse 36 in this episode, and this dramatic conclusion of last week's Bible study exercise in Genesis 37. Because there's at least two more spiritual pitfalls, really three more. One we never really got to, to really dig into, and that's the idea of generational sin. In other words, there are generational we, spiritual weaknesses that sometimes it's just runs in the family, whether you have ever experienced or even know it, it just seems to be built into the family. I wish we could have done more discussion about that, but we can definitely see some more spiritual pitfalls here. There's two more, all right? One starts with a B, the other one starts with a D, all right? And I mentioned one this morning, but let's go through this. All right, so we've got all of this favoritism going on. And Joseph... He's the recipient of this favoritism. However, he doesn't seem to know how to keep his mouth shut and he continues to run his mouth, which only seems to continue to provoke and provoke and provoke and provoke. The more he runs his mouth, he doesn't seem to be benefiting anyone. And all he does seem to be doing is provoking anger at his brothers who are the victim of favoritism because they're the ones who, who, in a sense, Joseph is being favored over them. They're the ones suffering under this favoritism. But Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were p- binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made op- 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 obe- obe- obeisance uh, to my sheaf. In other words, it bowed before him, all right? Um. Uh, they bowed before, they bowed before me. So here we are, there's these sheaves, my sheave stands up, all of your sheaves bows before me. All right. And this, once, I mean, why, why even go tell his brothers this? Why? Now, some will say, well, he should have told them. They should have handled it in a more spiritual way. But got to remember, here's Joseph walking around in a coat of many colors, and everybody seems to already know that he's dad's favorite, and now he's telling us that we're all gonna bow before him. It would be hard for them to go, oh, wait a minute. This could be this could be a dream from God. That it for them, they're like, uh this, this seems like you're rubbing it in our faces that you're better than us. And this goes back to the whole speech issue. All right. So uh and so uh verse eight, and his brethren said unto him, Shall thou indeed reign over us or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet all the more for his dreams and for his words. So we've got the the spiritual pitfall of favoritism, but we got the spiritual pitfall again of words, of communication, of speech. His words are just inciting more and more anger, more and more anger. It's all that's, that's all that's coming from this. But then he has another dream. This time, he dreamed a dream, and the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars made uh, obeisance to him. Obeisance to him. And this, again, the idea of bowing. I don't know why I'm have so much trouble with the word this, uh, this afternoon. Obeisance, probably because I've already done hours of teaching today, but you get the idea. So, uh, bowing before him. Now, you're, you just got to be looking at the situation like, Joseph, come on now. Stop telling them these things. Stop. You're not, you're not helping in any way, shape, or form. And he told his father his, and his brethren. The father rebuked him and said unto him, What is that, this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee uh, to, the, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the say. So Jacob is going, I wonder what's going on, but his brothers, now there's envy, there's bitterness, there's hatred. It's just, it's gotten out of control and the favoritism and the words play a big part in everything going on here. And you could argue, well, the brothers are just not spiritual enough and they just don't want to hear the message of God. Right now, all they know, it's a dream from their 17-year-old brother who is Mr. Favorite walking around in a coat of many colors. Let's not... So spiritualize this that we let it r- loses the hint of reality. This got reality all over it. This is just a bad situation. But this brings us to the next spiritual pitfall. All right. Now, obviously, the favoritism, the way they respond to it. Like, uh, now, think about it this way. The way you respond to being a victim of favoritism can be a spiritual pitfall for you. In other words, you can respond to favoritism with anger and bitterness and hatred, which then is a spiritual pitfall for you. So, so in a sense, we're gonna see their response to favoritism play out in a negative way. We've already talked about that and we've already talked about the person who is handing out the favoritism, the person who receives it, and the person who's the victim of it. And you've got to handle yourself in a godly way in regards to favoritism in all of those different directions. So we could really focus on their the brother's attitudes and their actions here. But I want to put what's going to happen here in a different category of spiritual pitfall. Here, here's what we're gonna do. Just watch. Now, in verses 12 to 17, Joseph tries to go find his brothers because they're out feeding the flock and he's gonna go back to them. But he can't find them, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. In fact, if you just start reading it, it, it there's a little bit of it that makes me laugh. And his brethren went to feed their flock, uh, their father's flock and Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock and Shechem? Come and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, here am I. And he said to him, go, I pray thee, see whether it will be well with my brethren and well with the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And certain men found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what seekest thou? It's almost like, hey, wh- where, where am I? He, he's looking for his brothers. And it's like, I'm not saying that his brothers did it on purpose, but it's almost like, hey, let's get out of here before Joseph can tag along because we don't want that—you know, dad's favorite to watch everything we do and go back and report on us. It, it feels that way. I can't say that's exactly how it went down. But in the context, it's just funny that he's like, where, where's my brothers? And he meets some people and he says, um, he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, pray thee where they feed the flock. And the man said, they are departed hence. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. So he, he, he's trying to find his brothers. He tries to find his brothers. Now this leads us to verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him, to kill him. We're going to call this the spiritual pitfall of betrayal. His brothers are in a sense about to betray him. He, Joseph doesn't seem to have any even suspicion no thought at all that his brothers could be sitting somewhere right there plotting his murder, plotting to kill him. He, it, it appears that in, in Joseph's mind, hey, they're still my brothers. Obviously, but maybe there's some tension here. Maybe he understands it. I don't know how much he understands, but he doesn't indicate at all that his brothers are sitting around going, that's it, we're gonna take this guy out. We're going to kill him. But let me make it very clear. You may not see betrayal coming. You may not. I don't know if betrayal is going to happen to you with someone in your family, like here, his brother's going to be killing him, someone within your church, someone at work, someone in your neighborhood. But let me tell you the minute betrayal happens, you are standing on very flimsy ground, spiritually speaking, because there's a very good chance that when that betrayal occurs, You're going to fall through and find yourself in a pit spiritually. You're going to find you're in a a pit mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And how you respond to that betrayal is going to determine if you're going to get out of that spiritual pit or if you're going to spend a considerable amount of time at the bottom. Because betrayal is a painful, painful thing. In fact, one article on betrayal stated it this way. Betrayal is a gross violation of trust and can be one of the most devastating forms of pain inflicted upon a human being. The suffering of betrayal is often magnified by a sense of vulnerability and exposure. For many, the pain of betrayal is worse than physical violence, deceit, or prejudice Betrayal destroys the foundation of trust. Let me read that to you again. Betrayal is a gross violation of trust and can be one of the most devastating forms of pain inflicted upon a human being. The suffering of betrayal is often magnified by a sense of vulnerability and exposure. For many, the pain of betrayal is worse than physical violence, deceit, or prejudice. Betrayal destroys the foundation of trust, to be betrayed by someone. Now, once again, we're going to have two categories here. The one who does the betraying, how have you betrayed other people? Whose trust have you betrayed? And being the victim of betrayal, either you're the one carrying out the betrayal or you're the one being a victim of it. Same with favoritism. And both of these, you don't want to be the one betraying anyone, but there's probably times you've betrayed the trust of other people. And sometimes you have been the victim of it. If you're the one carrying it out, you definitely need to repent of it and try not to do that anymore. But at the same time, if you become the victim of it, you've got to handle yourself also in a godly manner and trying to get yourself back out of that pit. Spiritually, both of these can be First you can you can betray someone's trust and you can feel so guilty and so much shame that you are destroyed. you destroy yourself spiritually just because of the guilt and shame you feel and all of the people you've hurt with your betrayal have you ever been there Okay, I, I don't know. I I know that I've betrayed people's trust and hurt people in my life, and I and I still can't get over it even after all of these years. It still haunts me. But I have also been the victim of betrayal where it still haunts me to this very day. Now, I, I think at times I've been in the pit. I think times I get out of the pit and then sometimes I think I take a car, drive back to the pit and go jump back in it because the the memory of betrayal is still so very real even after so many years. So I want you to think, and I really want you to do this. I want you, and I know we're at the end of the week, but I want you, if you can, hit pause. I know it may be hard to do. Write down a time that you were betrayed. Now you you can tear this paper up um, as soon as you're done, you can burn it. I don't want this to create some issue with someone in your family that they find it. Um, I don't want, you know, I don't want just to, but I want you to just write it down because it makes you face it one more time. Who have you betrayed? Who you you can write down, even if you don't put the name down, you can write down the situation. Just, just a brief. So I just want you to write it down because it makes you like, it's almost like a slap in the face. Remember what you did? Remember what you did? Remember what you did? And I don't want you to to remember it so that you're overwhelmed and destroyed by it, but I want you just to once again realize that we have betrayed people. It may be be seen something as insignificant, but we have betrayed people. And then I want you to write down how you have been betrayed. Because I want this feeling of betrayal. I mean, this, this is hard to read. Like I know, like, I know it's just, you're like, oh, and when they when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. I know it's like easy just to read it, but that's a dramatic scene. Here comes their brother, and they're going, and they're sitting there. Like, like maybe he can't see them. Maybe they can't even see him yet, but he's on his way towards them, and they're sitting around. You can just imagine, and again, this is speculation, but they're sitting somewhere part probably. Maybe they're standing. Maybe there's a fire. Maybe there's not. But they're like, we're going to get rid of him. We're going to kill him. We're done. I'm done with dad's favorite. I'm done with his coat of many colors. I'm tired of his stupid dreams saying that we're all going to bow before him. That's it. That's it. We're going to kill him. I mean, that's a dramatic scene. And Joseph has no idea. Joseph is just, you can almost see him like skipping along. Going to see my brothers, going to see my, has no idea yeah, you're going to be, uh, well, you're getting ready, they want to kill you. That's betrayal. That's crazy. But it shows you how serious, if you don't handle favoritism the right way, where it can lead. If you don't handle those feelings of bitterness and hatred and anger, man, it can lead to then wrong action. That's betrayal. Now, if you look up a definition of betrayal, if you just look up, up the definition for betray, I think you get a better idea. So here we go. To lead astray, right? To to seduce. Have you ever been guilty of leading someone astray? Seducing them, leading them in the wrong direction. Maybe you were an older Sibling and you, in a sense, now we say, we hear the word seduce and we almost all immediately connect it with concepts of sexuality, but seduce is just to, to just persuade, to get someone to do something they shouldn't do. To deliver to an enemy by treachery. To deliver to an enemy by treachery. Have you ever delivered someone over? Set someone up? Have you ever been set up? I can tell you an example where I was set up in my uh first independent fundamental baptist church in Papillion, Nebraska. I have great memories there from the Bible Institute. Have some really horrible memories there as well. I had found myself at odds or in conflict with the church over a number of issues because they had so many rules, so many rules. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. Can't do this. Can't do that. But there was so much inconsistency in the rules. I'd gotten myself in conflict with the church because they basically said you could not uh like if promise keepers came to your t- came to omaha you could not go to, to promise keepers and listen to the preaching you couldn't because promise keepers was bad and they made all these claims about promise keepers Now, i didn't necessarily agree with all the preaching of promise keepers but i mean like i thought it was crazy that a church is telling me now who i can listen to when it comes to preaching a church is going to tell me now you can't go listen to preaching there what what like that 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 seems like a little controlling that seems like a little cult like right doesn't it yeah i think so but they said things about promise keepers. So me and my wife, we 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 did some research and was able to call and talk to like leadership in the promise keepers ministry. And they said, no, that's not true. So we confronted the pastor and he got pretty upset. But there was this just ongoing like, wait a minute, you're just, your rules, it's just, it's more like, how many rules can you add? It's like, you want to control everything I do, not only in the church, but outside of the church. And it's, I started feeling like it was cult-like. Well, he... Some of one of the other men in the church, who started having problems as well. I think when went ahead and used some words like this is becoming like a cult. And as soon as he said that, the pastor was like, boom, I know where the problem lies. And it was me. So he looked at another man and said, basically, I know where this problem is. And I'm going to take this problem and I'm going to squash it like a bug. I'm going to destroy it. And he was referring to me. Well, that individual got in his car, mm, drove to my house. Hey, man, I got to warn you. Pastor's coming for you. He says, you're a bug. He's going to destroy you. Now, first, why would the pastor tell that to another man? Why, why, why would he do that? Why would he just not be man enough to call, like, you know what? And why would you even have the attitude that I'm a bug and I need to be destroyed? There's nothing biblical or godly about any of this. So I knew that I was being set up. I knew I was being set up. I knew that, oh, this is, I'm in trouble. And so then I get the call that I need to meet with the pastor. Now, he's, he won't, now the, and I asked the pastor, hey, what's going on? Why do I, oh, no, we'll just talk about it. We'll do it Sunday after church. So I show up, now I already know what's going on, right? So I'm already like on edge. Wait, I'm a bug and you're going to destroy me? Now, now I should have been smart. I should have been godly. I should have said, whoa, 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 whoa. We just need to leave the church. We just need to leave the church right now. We, I, I was stupid because I felt like, hey, this church holds my, you know, um, my ministry, my future ministry in their hands. They're the ones ordaining. They're the ones who ordained me. They could pull my certificate of ordination. They could destroy my ministry. So I felt like I, I couldn't go anywhere. But so I show up and I'm on edge. It's Sunday school and I'm waiting. It's And I'm like on edge. I'm on edge. Well, then I walk into the office and it's just, man, it's on. It's on. It's going, 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 going. Next thing, voices are being raised. Boom, boom, boom. Yelling, screaming. I mean, it's just ugly. It's ugly, ugly, ugly. And let me make it very clear. I didn't handle myself. In a godly way. So I don't want to put the blame all on this pastor, but what in the world am I supposed to do when I know I'm being brought in to be squashed like a bug? Now, what I should have done is handled it in a godly way and just say, if you want to destroy me, destroy me. I'm going to turn the other cheek and I'm going to handle this in a godly way. But I didn't. I handled it in a very fleshly way. I'm just going to be honest with you. All right? So it all goes down. It, It goes down. It's horrible. And then when I walk out of the office, I really mess up here. I really mess up here. and and I know you're going to sit there and you're going to condemn me to the 10th level of hell. That's okay. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay. Bible study is about letting it do surgery on you. Okay. So I'm just going to be honest with you. I walked out to the sanctuary. My wife was sitting there, probably everyone, the people that were left sitting around in the church, I think they all knew something was going down. I think a lot of people were sitting around because they knew something was going down. I come walking into the sanctuary and I look at my wife and I said, let's leave. We're never coming back to this stinking church. And I threw my Bible basically all the way across the sanctuary. Of course, people saw that. Of course, makes me look like that I'm out of control and I'm crazy. Now, Of course, not everyone knows how this all really went down. Nobody really knows what, how this all goes down. So I, I, we leave. Well, then the church decides to hold a secret meeting that I'm not invited to to decide what they're going to do with me? Am I going to be church disciplined? So they they call me in. They, they don't call me in. The church meets. Now someone there records it in secret, but they have this meeting and people are like, well, he seemed very agitated on Sunday. And when he came out, he threw his Bible. So everyone has all of this, but there's one man. There's one man sitting there in that meeting who could raise his hand and go, hey, listen, everyone, pastor, told me that this person was a bug and he was going to destroy him. And I went to his house and warned him. That's why he showed up to the church on edge. Pastor set him up. But guess what that man did? Did not say a word. Left me. Basically, just hung me out to dry. Just set me up. He's the one who come told me what was going down to get me all riled up. Then when he could have stepped up and say, wait, there's a, there's some context here. Hey, pastor, didn't you say you were going to destroy him like a bug? I don't think that's a very godly attitude. And not only that, I went and told him. So he w- he had over 24 hours just to think about it and think about it. Clearly, that's not a fair situation This is not right, but no, 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 no. He remained silent. And so basically the pastor was like, basically told everyone, hey, we're not gonna excommunicate him. We're not gonna church discipline him, but basically everyone break fellowship with him and don't have anything to do with him and his family anymore. Yeah, the wonderful world of Christianity. Yeah, that's to be, I was delivered up to an enemy. I was destroyed by said enemy. And the man who knew it all said nothing. yeah, that's betrayal. that's some messed up stuff. That's some really messed up. I can give you some other examples of it to fail or desert, especially in a time of need, to reveal unintentionally to disclose and violation of confidence, betray a secret. I've been a part of this as well, where I call someone to confess something I did and uh, I messed up. And well, that person then picked up the phone and called and told everyone that they could find. Yeah, that's, that's always a wonderful thing to do. That's, uh, that's always a godly situation. We could go through that whole story. I can go through all kinds of stories. Betrayal, now, you maybe as a parent, you betray. This is one thing I cannot stand is when something happens in a family, right? Something happens to a teenager, or happens to something. Uh, something's going on with some kid in, in the family, right? Your kid did something. Is it anyone else's business to go tell everyone what your kid did? When your kids hear that you're telling other parents what they did, that gives them the sense that there's no that the family is not a a place of trust. I always tried to say this: that whatever we do as a family, now I'm not talking about something illegal. I'm not. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, obviously, sometimes authorities have to be called. I'm saying that as a family, when things happen in the family, it's no one else's business. That the family is the is a you know a safe place. It's it's the fortress of solitude. It's a place where you can be yourselves. And if there's failure and if there's mistakes, you don't. Mom doesn't need to be on social media letting everyone know what their kid did. They don't need to be calling all their friends. Keep your mouth quiet. Now you deal with the issues as a family. Obviously, if you need counsel, or obviously if there's abuse of some sort, you need authorities. I'm not saying keep that a secret. I'm saying that for all the other normal failures and mistakes that can happen as family, don't go tell other people. Your family has to feel like that it's safe to be there within that family. And that if they fall, that, hey, I got your back. We're not gonna go tell anybody. We're not gonna share this. We're not gonna embarrass you, right? But Christians are great at, hey, oh, I heard some news. Gotta go tell everyone else. You are betraying people. Betrayal is a horrible, horrible thing. Have you been guilty of it? Have you been guilty of it? Have you ever repented of it? I don't want us to just focus on being a victim of it. I want us to focus on ways which we have betrayed others. Ways that we have betrayed other people. Sometimes it's intentionally. Sometimes it's unintentionally. But we we somehow hurt. We let people down. In some way, we betrayed a trust. I've been victims of it. And there's times I've definitely betrayed people's trust as well. I've let people down. I've hurt people. It's not a pleasant experience. It can happen in any setting, family, work, church. It's a horrible thing. I want us to understand betrayal. Now, here's what I want to do. There's much more we could discuss about this. But I want us to just look at some some scriptures here, all right? Because I, I just want you to think about this. Obviously, we know betrayal is found throughout throughout the Bible. There's no way to get around it. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. That was a horrible a horrible example of betrayal. But let's make it very clear: Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He acted to be his friend and then he betrayed it. We've betrayed Jesus. We've betrayed, we're all guilty of betrayal in some way, shape or form. We've all guilty of it. So so we need to embrace the fact that we've all been guilty of it in some way, shape or form and, and we need to repent of it. But when it happens to us, it can do absolute untold damage to us spiritually, especially if it happens in the context of a church or in the context of other Christians, it can make us turn against God. It can make us want to abandon Christianity. We have to see betrayal. This is very important as an action of sinful men, no matter how godly they may claim how godly they may profess themselves to be, it's the actions of sinful men, and their sin that led them to betrayal It's probably the same, it's the same sinful nature that has led you to betray and let people down. When you are betrayed, focus on the fact that it was sin that led to the betrayal, more than you focus on the person who carried it out. I'm not saying you excuse the person. I'm not saying the person just gets a, a, a get out of free jail card. I'm saying if you'll just focus in, it was sin and their sinful nature that's responsible, then your frustration, your hatred, be at sin instead of focusing on the person because the more you focus on the person, the more you become uh, haunted and corrupted and polluted with bitterness, anger, anger, And a need for vengeance. And you cannot do that. We must respond to betrayal. And I'm just going to give you some scriptures Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If you'll never forget The ways you have betrayed Christ, the ways you have betrayed his word. If you'll never forget you being a betrayer, it will be, if you'll never forget that, it will be much easier for you to handle the betrayal that occurs to you. If you'll see the reality of your own betrayal, it'll be much easier for you to forgive the betrayal that you experience. Now, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not going to make some pretend like forgive, forget, and just move on. I'm not saying it's in, look, there's nothing easy about it. I just know this. If you can't forgive the betrayal, it will eat at you. It will eat at you. It will destroy you. Think of it this way. The person who betrayed you will destroy you two times. They will destroy you with the initial betrayal. And then they will destroy you because you've allowed that betrayal to become a cancer eating away at you five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. And I know that there's this like, well, I can't let it go. If you don't let it go, it will destroy you. Holding on to it does nothing to your betrayer. It doesn't do anything to them. That man who messed me over, I still remember it because I can't forget it, but I hope I've let it go. I hope I've let it go to the best of my ability. Because if I don't, it will. That man will just still be destroying me. The pastor who messed me—look, you just got to let it go and move on. Now, some people want some kind of—they want some kind of restitution. They want some kind of resolution. They want some kind of apology. Here, my approach is: I don't care if I ever get an apology. I don't care if I ever get an acknowledgement. I don't care. I'm just going to move on. I am not going to live my life inside a pit. I'm, no, no, no. You already betrayed me and you shoved me into the pit. The last thing I'm going to do is stay in it. I'm crawling out of this pit and I'm moving forward. I'm not even looking back. It's just done. It's like, it's not even about just forgiveness. I'm just like, it's just gone. It's it's in the past and I'm not looking back. Now, sometimes I'm very good at moving forward, but to be honest, I don't know if I've completely forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't, I think it's a journey to get to that, Point of completely forgiving. But you know what? Before I forgive, I can start walking away from it. I can move forward. I can move forward. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And I love the fact that forgiveness is always put in the context of how Christ has forgiven us. We have betrayed Christ. We've been just as guilty of Judas. We've, we have denied him, lied about him, turned our, we've betrayed Christ in so many ways by our own sinful nature and all the things that we've done. We, we've, all, we've all done it, but he forgives us. And then Matthew 18, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not, not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Just keep forgiving and just move forward. Some people want some kind of beautiful like redemption moment where where your your betrayer sits down and says, I'm so sorry. And because I betrayed you, my life fell apart and I need you to forget. That's movies. Reality, your betrayer may never acknowledge it, may never even feel guilty about what they did, may feel like that they're the righteous one and you're the unrighteous one. You know what? You can't worry about it. The person who I called to confess and ask for help who said they would help me and then hung up the phone never called me back, even after they said they would help me, and then called every person they could find to tell them what I had done, that person has never come back to apologize, will never come back to apologize, and probably feels that they are the righteous one and I'm the unrighteous, Unrighteous piece of human waste and garbage. That's probably the way they feel. You know what? I can't worry about that. All I, you know what I can focus on? I can. Eat, here's what I can do. I can focus on how they betrayed a trust and how they said they would help and they didn't. Or I can just say, you know what? Doesn't matter what they did. I was wrong. I confessed my wrong, and I need to focus on the wrong that I committed not on the wrong that was committed against me. Because what happens is I can take a situation where I was wrong and make myself the victim. So in that sense, that betrayal did not actually help the situation because it almost set, basically it almost set me up for another spiritual pitfall because I could have taken a situation where I was actually wrong. I had actually sinned. I actually needed to confess. And I was looking for a spiritual, a godly man to help me and to bring me back and to restore me and to help. Instead of helping, they tried. To, they almost turned me into a victim. And so I could have just said, look what has happened to me. I could have made myself that I was the one. I just needed to focus on my wrong. You see how that was almost that betrayal almost became a, a, a spiritual pitfall because instead of me handling myself the right way and confessing and, and doing everything I needed to do to be restored, I could have just wallowed in my own self-pity and say, but I was the victim. I was the victim here. You you can't do that. You just got to forgive. Forgive, 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 and move on. You forgive. When Jesus hung on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, the way he, in a sense, he turned the other cheek. He was silent. He didn't didn't strike back. That's, That's the way we have to respond to betrayal. We have to. We have to respond that way. We have to respond in a godly. And and this is very important. We cannot seek vengeance. We cannot seek vengeance. We are to turn the other cheek. We are to love our enemy. Vengeance is not ours. We we trust how God will, but you know what? What Sometimes what we want is the people who betrayed us. We want them to suffer we want them to suffer. What we should want is for God, in a sense, to bless them. We want them to suffer. We want them to suffer. Just yeah, vengeance is the Lord, and He may bring vengeance. He may do something. But you know what? If any of He brings blessing, just leave it to God. You just got to give it to God. And Lord, I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. Help me forgive, but help me move forward. Bless them that betrayed me. Bless them that hurt me. Help me move forward. Because if you don't, it will destroy you. Now go back to Genesis 37. Let's watch this betrayal now actually take on flesh. So they're sitting there. So so they did see him. I, I think I set up the idea that they possibly didn't see him. They saw him afar off, but even before he came near, they conspired to kill him, to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it and delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. Please know they're, they they they're so upset with the favoritism they can't they can't stop talking about the dreams they can't stop talking no, they 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 go they attack and basically rip off the coat of many colors they, they 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 hate all of the symbols of the favoritism because they're so eaten up with bitterness and anger and rage they cast him into a pit and the pit was empty there was no water in it. So they decide, okay, we've thrown it, we beat, we basically have stripped him, we've thrown him into a pit, we've humiliated him, now we'll sell him as a slave. That's how far their, their betrayal is how far their betrayal goes. And Joseph is the victim of all of this. Then they're passed the Midianites. Merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren, and said, This child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, and killed a kid uh, of the goats, and dipped the coat in blood. And they set their, sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said uh, that that have we found, no, not whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat, and evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many Days And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now, not only do we have betrayal, we have deception going on. We have deception. Now, sometimes we're the deceivers. Sometimes we are the ones who are deceived. We have the spiritual pitfall of betrayal. We have the spiritual pitfall of Deception. And then we read these words, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites, then to the, Midian, and, or, uh, the Midianites, then sold him unto Egypt. So he, he's, he's given over uh, to, uh, to, uh, and to Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaohs and a captain of the guard. Now, we can talk about what Joseph may or may have not have done right in all of this. We can definitely talk about how the favoritism leads to all of this. We've got sin. We've got problems going on. We've got betrayal and we've got deception. And I want you to realize that in your life, you will be the, you, at times you may be the betrayer. At times you may be the deceiver. At times you're, you're going to be the one who's betrayed. At times you're going to be the one who is deceived. How are you going to respond to these situations is going to determine if you find yourself in a pit. This whole, all of this takes place in the context of the family and Joseph ends up in a pit. Sometimes in the context of whatever situation you find yourself, you find yourself in a pit. Maybe because you're the one carrying out the wrong, so in a sense, it's a spiritual pit for you or you're the victim of the wrong and it can put you literally in a pit, spiritually speaking. How are you going to respond? The Bible is clear whether, no matter how, how, what happened to us all we can do is forgive turn the other cheek move forward look the only way to even begin to live the christian life in light of these horrible things that can happen to you this this is so critical let me make it this is very first you have to remind remind yourself of your own sin let me try to state this again The more you are aware of your own sin, the better you can handle when you are sinned against. Awareness of your own sin helps you handle correctly the sin committed against you. That's why you have to be constantly made aware of your own sin. The, the, the more you study God's word, the more you will see, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And the more you are aware of that, when you are sinned against, you will respond, well, I'm a sinner who constantly is in need of God's mercy and constantly rece- receiving God's forgiveness. Therefore, I should extend that same mercy and that same forgiveness to those who have sinned against me. But if you stop becoming aware of your own sin and you focus more on your own perceived self-righteousness, then you will be offended at every little wrong against you. You will be knocked off course. You'll be thrown into a pit and it will destroy you spiritually. When all you can focus on is how good you are, When someone does something to you, you will feel like it's the greatest crime in the century. But if you're more aware of how sinful you are, you will realize that the wrong done to you probably pales in comparison to the wrong that you have done to God. Now, let me make it very clear. I am by no means undermining the horrible things that can be done to you because horrible things can happen to you. Horrible things. And there's no excuse for it. All right, I don't want anyone to say, well, you don't know what happened to me. I Trust me, I don't. And you probably don't know all the things that has happened to me, which is some pretty messed up, horrible things that I don't want to go into detail about. Some really messed up things. But what am I going to do about it? Well, I got to, I got to see my own sin and how much I, what I deserve. I deserve eternity separated from God and hell. That's what I deserve. I don't deserve anything. Well, the people who have done something to me. They don't deserve anything but hell either because we're all sinners. So all I can do, forgiving them does not in any way excuse what they've done. It just says, I'm letting it go and I'm going to leave it in the hands of God. God knows what happens. God, And, and you have to kind of see everything that takes place as being. So I think the first thing, you should have to be more aware of your own sin. You have to be more aware. I just, I cannot stress that. You have to be more aware of your own sin. I'm not saying that excuses anything that's happened to you. Just saying if you're more aware of it, that gives you some sense of of spiritual stability where you're not completely devastated and lying in the bottom of a a pit, spiritually speaking. All right, so that's number one. You got to be more aware of your own sin. Number two, you've got to also acknowledge God's sovereignty and that God's Providence is at work. Look, Joseph experiences this horrible betrayal by his brothers. He's going to experience one messed up situation after another messed up situation after another messed up after another. And when you finally get to the end of of Genesis, what are we saying? Hey, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He sees the hands of God in it. Now, I don't know. uh, I can't. Look, there's things that's happened to me that it's hard for me to see the hands of God. I just have to know that God is sovereign and God works all things according to his good pleasure and will. If I see that God is at work, then I'm like, I don't know what, why this happened to me. I don't know why you would let this happen to me, but I just got to acknowledge that somehow this is a part of your sovereign will. And I just got to see your hand in it, even though I don't understand it and can't recognize it currently. That will help you not end up in a spiritual pit. You've got to see your own sinfulness and you've got to see the sovereignty of God. And then, this is so important, you have to constantly maintain a position of self-denial, dying to self, and not following self. It's amazing if you die to self, it's amazing how other people's betrayal and deception doesn't have a profound impact on you or as much of an impact on you because you're dead to self. That's the biblical, the whole biblical concept is die to self, die to self, die to self, die to self, die to self. Well, then you're not, you're not completely devastated when these things happen. You're not completely devastated, but you have betrayal and you have horrible deception. They deceive their father. The father goes into full blown depression, mourning and weeping, and they can't seem to bring themselves to go. Okay, well, actually, Dad, we didn't kill him. Or actually, Dad, he wasn't killed by a an an animal. We sold him into slavery. Now, I'm not saying that would make his dad feel better, but at least we think his son is alive, and he could possibly try to go find his son and buy him back. But no, 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 they can't even be brought to tell the truth. That's a horrible deception. And remember, as Christians, we are not to deceive. We are to speak the truth. Put away lying. And that ends the chapter. Now, what's amazing is when you go, the next time you see Joseph mentioned, um, let's see here. The next time I think Joseph is mentioned, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong. Uh yeah, chapter 39. I believe that's the next time he's mentioned. Um, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, uh, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had bought, uh, brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. Now, please note, the Lord was with Joseph. And all of this, God is with him. So God is sovereign. We see God, but you don't really have. We have no words of Joseph. He, he, you don't see Joseph complaining. You don't see Joseph upset. It's just. It's astonishing. Like you're kind of really. What was Joseph thinking? He just seemed to be like this is my situation. This is where I am. I'm going to do what I'm. I, I can do in this situation. Now I'm not saying it's. It's not a mental game. I don't want you to think that I'm saying. Well, I've been betrayed. I've been deceived. Well. Oh, the sun comes up tomorrow. It's not some like pep talk. It's just acknowledging I'm a sinner. God is in charge and I'm going to die to self, deny self and not follow self. And then just move forward. Some people just cannot move forward. All they can remember is is how they were deceived. All they can remember is how they were betrayed. And they know every detail and they replay it over and over. And I would just ask you, what has it done for your life? What has it done for you? It's probably systematically eating at you. It probably is destroyed. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Forgive. He said, but I can't do it. I don't want to forgive. You want to hold on to that hurt and you want to see that other person hurt, but it all you're doing is hurting yourself. There are the spiritual pitfalls. And, and, and I'm telling you, if you go back and look at the favoritism, you can go back, find favoritism in Abram and Isaac's life. You can find favoritism between uh, Jacob and uh, his, his wives, and you find favoritism here between Jacob and his sons. It's a generational issue. There's generational sin here. And I know that's the topic we were going to really start off with this week, but we just kind of keep, we kept delaying this generational sin. And we'll have to try to talk about that at a later time. But that concludes this week's Bible study exercise in Genesis 37 and spiritual pitfalls. And all of those pitfalls are found right there in Genesis 37. I would love to get your thoughts about any of this. I mean, there's so much. And I I wish we could have done even more. But I mean, another hour on this. So I think I've done as much as I can here. I think I've done as much as I can. All right. There you have it. I don't know what else to say other than there, there's a lot of conviction right there. A lot, a lot we can discuss. You can email me newsif at yahoo dot com. Newsif at yahoo dot com. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.